were we doing in the 70s? We were protesting. We were asserting our rights and our needs. And when that happens, conservative folks and people who really like the system of gender, they, they push back. Content warnings for this episode include discussion of gender-based harms and white supremacy. Jennifer would like to acknowledge the Indigenous peoples and unceded lands that the producers, hosts, and guests have lived and dwelt upon. Today, we honor the Mohawk, Algonquin, and Anishinawa Bawaki. And the Muskegee. We honor the elders, the human, plant, and animal ancestors of these lands and celebrate the living descendants of these peoples. May all beings tend these lands for the goodness of the next seven generations and beyond. Meowdy folks, welcome to Genderful, a talk show interviewing gender diverse folks about their special interests. The name of our show celebrates that gender expansiveness is wonderful. Hi, I'm Gender Master, and my pronouns are they, them. Hi, I'm Atlas of Phoenix, and my pronouns are also they, them. The focus of our show is to interview trans, non-binary, agender, and gender diverse people regarding their special interests, passion projects, and resources for the gender diverse community. We want our audience to know that this show is hosted by two folks who also identify as non-binary, transmasculine, neurodivergent, and disabled with the passion for telling trans stories. We invite you to remember that we are whole people with robust lives, friendships, challenges, and successes. We love and are loved, and we are delighted to share these stories with you. As always, we kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of their identities, your identities can change over time and are valid every step of the way. And if you think you're gender diverse, you are gender diverse. There are no social or medical prerequisites to be included in the community. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Genderful. I'm your host today. Um, my name is Miranda, also known as NASA Tech. Uh, this week, we have uh, Kai Tyson. We'll be talking about uh, the systems of gender. I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, I've actually never taken a gender studies course in university because, uh, you know, back then, you know, cishet male, it's like, oh, I don't need to take gender studies. That's not a course that appeals to me. Uh, oh boy, how the tables have turned. Life comes at Now I'm very interested in such things. <laughs> Welcome to Genderful episode 95. We're coming up on the big 100s. We have a very special guest lined up for 100. We have a slightly less special guest lined up for episode 99, but you know, well, we'll get there. <laughs> this week, our guest is Kai Tyson, they, them pronouns, and is chatting with us about the system of gender and how we can critically examine it. Uh, I believe one of our producers found them on Instagram. Uh, maybe we can talk more about that later. I am not an Instagram enjoyer, so <laughs> I know nothing about Instagram. It's just like, oh, this is where people post their pictures these days. This is what the kids are doing. <laughs> So yeah. welcome to Genderful Kai. It's great to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really looking forward to the conversation and um, yeah, we can talk about Instagram. I'm not an Instagram enjoyer either, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's a whole conversation. Yeah. I mean, it depends where the Twitter crowd ends up. Uh, if they're all end up on threads and I may have to get an Instagram account. I don't actually know how that works. 
Uh, so I don't either, but I don't trust it because it's meta. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, neither do I, but I also never trusted Twitter. So whatever, I'm going to go wherever the crowd goes. I'm a sheep. I'm a follower. That's just how things are. That's a solid point. I don't trust any of these people. This isn't new information. Yeah. 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 So yeah, regardless, exactly. they're all stealing my data. I mean, I'm just, I'm just waiting for, you know, the, 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 I'm, I'm waiting for the house to burn down and for the storm to blow the ashes in one pile. So. <laughs> fair fair uh all right so let's go ahead and get into the questions uh so then we have a couple questions that we like to ask all of our guests uh so first one is what might be the things you can trace back to your youth that indicated you might be gender diverse one day um i have a couple cute stories so um, i love cute stories cute now they were not cute then but (laughs) so i don't know cute with a grain of salt So I have an older brother who is three years older than me. um, And we would play outside a lot at like my grandparents' house and at home in different places. And so one time we were outside in the backyard at my grandparents' house and my brother had to use the bathroom. And so he peed on a tree and I decided I would try to pee on the tree also. And um, like I I was maybe three years old and like, so I was like, the fact that I remember this is kind of impressive, but um, yeah, like I was three years old. I was like barely potty trained, but I was like, maybe I'm a boy. Like that was always kind of in the back of my head. Like maybe I'm a boy, like what? And I asked my mom one time um, if I was a boy, I think I was like three or four years old. And I was like, are you sure? Are you sure? It just mm-hmm. didn't, it just didn't. I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm a girl. I don't know. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely had some, and I also had some, some crushes on different girls, like the Little Mermaid and the Pink Power Ranger. And Mm. so, um, I was definitely queer. I was definitely like, I don't know, I would do, you know, quote unquote boy things just as much as I did girl things. And I didn't like all the restrictions put on girls and you know you have to dress a certain way and all that kind of stuff but I I like certain things like I I liked Barbie dolls and I liked um you know playing house and different things like that so I didn't necessarily hate all things feminine but I hated the I guess the expectations that came along with it of course I didn't have the language for it back then but I was just like anytime I had to put on like one of those big frilly dresses with like the ruffly socks I like had a it was like a whole dramatic thing um and so yeah looking back it's like I was very much trying to communicate um you know who I was and and what I felt comfortable doing and and um most of the time it wasn't listened to but I I definitely had some some moments no that's awesome you said you had a you had a a second story or is that was that the whole one? Um, that was basically yeah I mean I have some other stories that those are the best ones Awesome. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's really interesting because like most gender diverse people can identify uh, these sorts of feelings at a very young age. So it's not, this is not like, you know, oh, like you've, like you suddenly become trans at the age of 35. It's like, no, it's no. like, it's, it's always been there. It's just the question, like it takes some of us longer to figure it out than others. But uh, yeah. it's, it's like one of those things in hindsight, it's like, oh yeah, no, that, that all makes sense now. This is not yeah. something that's people do so. exactly exactly uh now how would you say your relationship to gender has evolved over time 
Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I think I started to identify as non-binary maybe when I was like 24, 25. And before that, I didn't have really the language for it. I didn't have, um, I didn't really have anything to go off of, I guess, other than just how I felt. And so um, the ways that I would carry myself or the, the hairstyles that I like to wear, different things like that, like um, that's how I would express my, my gender or different activities that I would do that, you know, are gendered for no reason. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't have a lot of control over like my, I guess my image or, or how I presented myself. I didn't have much control over um, really anything. My parents were like super overprotective, but I think as a kid, it was, I was very introspective. I was, I was undiagnosed neurodivergent and I was like always thinking about um, a lot of existential stuff and a lot of things that, about like, who am I and like, why am I here? And you know, those types of questions. And so I think I, I, didn't, I wasn't really analyzing my gender though. I was just kind of like, uh, I, I was, I guess like, and not like other girls, if I had to put a label on it, like, oh, I don't, I don't care uh -huh. about makeup. I don't care about this and that. And I don't know, but yeah, just very like, I'm gonna distance myself from people who enjoy femininity femininity or people who enjoy um certain types of of activities or whatever but then really I was I wish that I could do it right like I wish that I could be the type of girl that people wanted me to be like I didn't necessarily enjoy it but I wish that I could basically fit in with everyone else not because I actually wanted to do makeup but because I thought that well maybe if I'm if I do these certain things then I'll receive the um validation or the love or whatever that I desired um but yeah as an adult I like so I was in grad school and we had to do an assignment basically in one of my classes that was like what um choose like an identity that you have and this was this was like a, a multicultural identity theory type class. My background is in education, so it was, it was very nerdy. But um, they were like, pick an identity that you have and like do something, act out, um, you know, life as someone who was in a more marginalized position in that identity group. So like, for example, um, one of my friends who's Muslim, she decided to wear a hijab for a, a day or two in certain locations and like, you know, record what happened. Um, and so me at this point, I had identified as queer, but I, I was still very much cisgender and didn't know too much else about um, gender or anything. And so I decided to, to dress mask for a couple of days and see what happened. And <laughs> I mean, I guess I, I, the outfit was bad looking back. Like it was, it probably didn't fit and it was not cute, but like, I felt just a little nugget of gender euphoria. And I was like, oh, I didn't expect to feel that. Okay. So, you know, that was kind of my first time um, playing around with gender with appearance. And I've, I've always really liked fashion and I'm interested in fashion. I don't necessarily always, um, you know, keep up with every, with all the trends, but just like 
I'm interested in how like how you can express yourself through your through your outfits and through your looks and different things. And so, yeah, that was my first time really experimenting with my gender through fashion. And I've been just playing around with a lot of things ever since. And I think I had to come to a a point where I reconciled my feminine side because as an AFAB person, it's really easy to like demonize the feminine because I'm like, I'm trying to distance myself from it. But I had to come to a point where I was like, no, I like some of these things and I want to um, be able to wear a dress or whatever without feeling like I have to justify being a non-binary person in a dress or justify, you know, uh, showing up in a certain way. Like, yeah, I can wear a dress today and I can wear a bow tie tomorrow and I can wear both doing it because you want to not because it's expected of you right exactly and like it's still it's still very queer like I could put on you know I could have the most hyper femme presentation and it still would be very queer because I'm very queer so yeah um you know just I had to come to to a point where it's like it doesn't matter if I'm mask or femme or somewhere in between or both or neither that you know I'm still my identity is still valid and you know I can show up however I want that day because it's um I don't feel less of myself if I'm wearing a dress unless it's like against my will then yeah you know then I'm not gonna feel good but if it's if it's something I feel good in then I feel good in it and so um yeah I'm at a place now where I'm 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 going with the flow of what my what my current um is how my inner self wants to be portrayed outwardly of like sometimes it's mm. him and sometimes it's um you know like a box like I don't know sometimes it's just like I don't even want to think about gender when I put on clothes I want to just put on something that makes me feel good and yeah um you know, just there's, know there's no rule that says you have to stick to one specific presentation like you're allowed to be as yeah. fluid as you want to be right that's that's perfectly valid yeah, and the fem is like fem is an identity that I that I embrace and that I take on politically, um, knowing that there's so much fem phobia in the world that fems, um, regardless of their you know gender assigned at birth or sex assigned at birth, are a lot of times the most vulnerable, um, and that being fem that there's nothing shameful in that that there's nothing um inherently bad about being femme and mm. that you know I'm, I'm I'm like I'm very femme for femme like I'm very much like what do my fems need like I'm here for y'all like I'm here for us so yeah just like always reminding people that fems are enough and that fems don't have to prove that they're you know, that they're smart or that they're serious or whatever, just because they like to wear heels or makeup or, or wigs or whatever and pink and like that has nothing to do with their um, abilities and like just the assumptions that people make about femmes who enjoy being femme. Um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. one of my soapboxes. Like I'm pro femme times a thousand. Awesome. I love that so much. And it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty much every single person I talk to has some sort of experience with, uh, with, you know, how powerful it is with clothing and how that's um, like presenting in a different way can really, really be a profound experience. And it's something until you experience it for yourself, you don't realize how profound it is. I mean, 
pretty much everyone that's come on the show has told a similar story. I mean, I've, I have a similar story myself, you know, when I start, first started presenting femmes. So um, but yeah, the, the clothing is, uh, is, is a huge deal. And I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about like not having the language for, for being non-binary. And I think that's, that's another thing I like to talk about quite a lot is um, some of us growing up, particularly folks in my generation or earlier generations that didn't have the language for being transgender, being non-binary, or just even just being queer. Um, so when you don't have the language to describe the thing, that I, concept or idea like doesn't exist to you. So it's until until you learn the language to describe that concept, then those things are beyond your reach. Um, so that I think that's why it's really important that um, we get as much information out there as possible, and we fight back against the kind of suppression of of information. Yeah, absolutely. And like having mm -hmm. a name or a label for something means like community. It means that there are other people that you can find that you can relate to and connect with and I think like that's the beauty of the internet one of the few beautiful things about the internet that um we can build communities with the most niche of of identities or experiences and that we can find um mm. you know similarities between between ourselves and other people who we would never have connected with in the past like I'm a millennial, so like I, I feel like I was there in real time with like all these identities developing on Tumblr and like having a name for it and having a word oh, yeah. to be able to connect with each other. Like it's really powerful because so many of us were isolated before that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so many generations previously were isolated, and that isolation can mm -hmm. be really harmful, um, especially to queer youth. So yeah. Um, yeah, like having a label is it's it's like a opening a door. Yeah, no, it's uh, I mean, I was never on Tumblr, but I have heard that a lot of eggs got cracked on Tumblr. <laughs> Good friend of mine uh, cracked her egg there. <laughs> yeah, um, YouTube sure. YouTube did it for me. Uh, so oh, the, the YouTube on YouTube that was very very helpful to me in my early transition. Yeah, the YouTube transition kids, like that first wave of folks who were like in real time, like I'm going on hormones, I'm getting surgery, like that was groundbreaking. Like that was oh God, honestly, yes. they were the first yeah. YouTubers, the trans kids. Yeah. Like honestly, just hearing other people's stories and seeing yourself in them, that's like, to me, that was like the number one thing. Um, yeah. So but uh, we're going to go ahead and segue into our main special topic that we're talking about today, which is the system of gender. Uh, so what we just say the difference is between individual gender identity or presentation or roles and the system of gender itself. So I like to explain it like usually when I'm explaining the system of gender, it's to like cis het black women. And so I've, I'm finding ways to, you know, to because one of the first questions that people ask is like, but I like lipstick, I like wearing heels, I like dresses, do I have to mm -hmm. give that up? And no, you, I, you know, I tell people, you don't have to give it up. It's not about you like to wear lipstick. It's about there's a multi-billion dollar industry that has been created to prey on your um, insecurities based mm -hmm. off of your gender assigned at birth. It's, mm -hmm. you know, like makeup is great. 
heels are great, dresses are great, all those things are great. You know, if if you feel wonderful in it, please wear it. But like the system of gender is this entire system that has been created that's artificial. Um and with the purpose of upholding capitalism. Um, and it's kind of um I know sometimes I probably sound like I have like a tinfoil hat, but like basically <laughs> when you're looking at the system of capitalism, um, and when I'm talking about capitalism, I'm including white supremacy, I'm including patriarchy, I'm including all these things because they're they all have the same root. And so one of the biggest things that perpetuates uh, capitalism is the nuclear family. Have the idea that you get married, you have a one or two income household and you have your kids and you're very independent. Um, the opposite of the nuclear family is living in a community. Oops, mm-hmm. I hit my microphone, sorry. Um, but living in a community where you're able to support each other, where you can have more than one or two incomes that you can pull your resources, that everyone doesn't have to work full-time, ideally. Everyone doesn't have to work full-time because there's enough people to cover everyone's needs that yeah. you know, we, can, we can split what we need and we can, we can support each other. Um, so this nuclear family, what really is the, the heart of the nuclear family is the role of the wife and the mother because without the wife and the mother, the house is not being upkept, the children are not being raised. Um, the man's needs are not being handled so that he can go off and work. Um, and so really at the root of, maybe not the root of the creation of capitalism, or maybe it is, but definitely at the root of the continuance of it is very strict gender roles. This idea that women are caretakers and nurturers and providers and that they're naturally so. If you choose to be a caretaker, that's great. If you choose to you know, work outside the house, that's great. But if it's your mm-hmm. actual choice and not something that you've been um, guided into wanting to do um, by everything in society from parents to teachers to the law to um, educational institutions or the ways that different workplaces are set up. So it's, you know, the system is that it is, it's in every piece of, of life in society. And it's not just the US, it's not just any one place that I would say, because the majority of, of um, countries have been colonized, maybe not the majority, I don't know if that's an accurate number, don't come for me, but like, because a lot of countries have been colonized, these systems are also, have also made their way into those societies as well. And so, um, you know, it's it's all very um, insidious that, you know, it's no one necessarily feels um, responsible for creating this system of white supremacy, which means that a lot of times um, no one feels responsible for fixing it, but it's perpetuated in all those little things and what we teach our kids in um, the ways that women in a workplace are asked to like take notes or make coffee more than men are. And, and different things like that, that really communicate, um, this is what your role is. And we're always going to be policing you and correcting you to make sure that you stay in that lane, that you stay in that role. Um, and, you know, when I talk about the system of gender, it's a system that is perpetuated. And we think about like, what happens if someone breaks the rules or what happens if someone, um, doesn't go along with what the system is saying, 
And unfortunately, as trans and gender not conforming folks, we know that the answer to that all too well, what happens when you break those rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, those rules are perpetuated not only through socialization, but also through violence. Um, and that's the system of gender that doesn't have, to me, it, it you know, it's kind of like if every person recycled all their plastic, we would still have climate change. Like if every person was like, I'm going to stop shaving my legs, I'm going to be vulnerable with my girlfriend, whatever, like we would still have the system. And yeah. so just um, like, so, you know, wear the dresses or, or lean into, you know, this thing that has been highly gendered if, if you really want to. And hopefully becoming more aware of how this system is uh, shows up in your everyday life. And especially if you have kids um, or if you're, you know, an educator or someone who works with young people, because it's once you become aware of, you know, the different ways that you talk to girls versus boys, like you just start to notice all these different things. And it's, 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 it becomes obvious that it's really everywhere. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's definitely like a lot that you want. And uh Yeah, because like, I mean, what you're talking about here is, you know, societal expectations and societal behaviors. And a lot of that is baked into our perceptions of gender. So it's, I mean, like I said, it's, it's not about like wearing dresses or shaving your legs or whatever. It's, it's about how people are treated and perceived in oral society. So, um, I mean, that's definitely something that's, uh, I think a lot of people could stand to be more aware of and maybe be more educated on. So. Um, because I think it'd be hard pressed to find someone who would like denies that this system exists. Um, although a lot of people kind of have bought into it where it's like, especially if they benefit from the system. So it's, and we kind of need those people in, in, you know, privileged positions in order to, you know, stand up and say, well, Hey, the system is, even though I benefit from this, this system is unfair. Um, now, how would you say that system of gender harms those with privileges in the system? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's always the important part is for the privileged folks to use their privilege to to further the conversation um, and enact change, hopefully. But the system of gender, I think, is unique because when you think of the system of race, like in obviously this is dependent on the context and the culture that you're in. Um, race shows up in different ways in different countries and different societies, but in the U.S., you know, in the system of race, white people are on top, and so there's there is harm that is that that white people um, experience. I think there's a real um, denial of that true inner self, but outside of that, there, it's hard to it's hard to you know, quantify how white people are harmed in that system because white people are on top. But in the system of gender, because it's a binary, it's like for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so for every time that um, a woman is harmed um, or, or, you know, reprimanded or whatever for being too emotional, a man is harmed or reprimanded for being too emotional. Um, And they may have different, um, there may be different expectations for, for, for each side, but on both ends, you know, that, uh, you know, women aren't supposed to be 
and of course I'm saying women and men, but cisgender women and cisgender men under the system. Um, but you know, women are supposed to be um, sexual, but not too sexual. Mm. And men are supposed to be hypersexual. And how does it harm men to be expected to be hypersexual? It means that, that you know some folks might attempt to fulfill that and become hypersexual mm -hmm. and maybe not always um, be pursuing that in an ethical way um, or in a safe way. Um, or if um, a man is asexual and he feels like he's supposed to be hypersexual, then he might have a hard time reconciling his, his actual identity with what's been imposed on him. Um, you know, we could talk all day about the emotional harms, just when you don't have the language to express your emotions, you know, going back to what we were saying about language, like it's so crucial to have the language to express your emotions so that, mm -hmm. um, those emotions can be expressed and not just suppressed. And there's um, there there's a study, or there's a few studies that basically say that like um, you know girls are better at reading and and um, better with emotions, and boys are better at like math and science. And those harder quote unquote hard sciences are hard topics. Sure. Um, my theory, my very loose theory that I have no um, necessarily scientific backing on is that the reason why girls are better with language and with emotions um, is because there are other studies that show that, well, I guess it is kind of scientific, but there's some other studies that show that people talk to boy babies less. They say fewer words to boy babies mm -hmm. than they do to girl babies. And this is, um, and then there's another study that basically says like people treat babies differently based off of their perception of them. So mm -hmm. then if a, you know, say a girl baby is bald and like in black culture in the US, it's, it's, it's kind of a big deal to like get your, your baby girl's ears pierced because God forbid anybody thinks that she's a boy, I guess, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But um, so, you know, if your baby is bald and doesn't have their ears pierced and they're wearing say a green shirt, and you know someone perceives them to be a boy they're going to use fewer words they're going to use fewer like emotional based words or like empathy connection based words they're going to be more action based words and you know to me it only makes sense that if you're talking to a 1 year old and you're only using these action based words and you're not using emotion based words that by the time they're 5 or 10 years old then there's going to be a real gap in their language compared to a girl's language who was raised with emotional and empathetic, you know, related words to help not only describe their emotions, but also connect to other people. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of things I think that, that people assume are human nature, that it's, it's really socialization. Um, and what ends up happening, you know, there's this whole, like, um, this whole, like, group of people that are really concerned about just men's inability to connect with other people, whether it's like men uh, or women are, are less likely to date men who are, um, who express like traditional values, quote unquote, or mm -hmm. like that men are less likely to go to therapy or that the, um, you know, self-harm rates are, are different for men or whatever it is, like, there's all these people who are so concerned with, you know, why are men struggling in these ways? Men are lonely. Men don't have friends. Men aren't 
you know, emotionally connecting with people. And a lot of that, I think, this is my opinion, goes back to the ways that we connect with not just babies and small kids, but with humans throughout the lifespan. And that starts, honestly, before they're even born, um, especially now with like gender reveal parties and stuff that starts before they're born. And so that's just the gap between whether it's, um, you know, men have more orgasms and um, men spend more time on leisure after, after their baby is born or whatever, like all those things I think can be traced back to the ways in which we speak to and interact with and socialize babies and children. Um, and so it ends up harming cisgender men because there are a lot of folks, I mean, you know, a lot of things I was just saying that they don't have friends, they don't have uh, emotional outlets, they don't have the ability to, to process and, and articulate their emotions and they're less likely to seek therapy and all these different things. Um, but then also, even if they do try to go against the grain, um, everyone in society, including your romantic partner, including your friends, are going to try to push you back into that box. Oh, why are you going to therapy? Oh, I don't like to see you know my, my, my boyfriend cry or whatever the case is, mm -hmm. that they're even more heavily policed. I, mean, I don't know, I don't wanna compare, that's probably not fair, but they are, they are very heavily policed. Um, to not deviate from what is seen as manhood and masculinity. Whereas mm -hmm. cisgender women, I, I feel like it's kind of like the, like how lesbians are acceptable, but gay men are, are gross. Like somehow women get, like it's still oppression. It's still, you know, that policing, but it's a little bit softer and there's a little bit more allowance for them because being a woman is already like, well, you're not a man. So, I mean, you know, what could it hurt? Um, yeah, and I mean, there's I a great deal of uh, infantilization that goes on with, uh, you know, people who are assigned female at birth, whether absolutely. you're cisgender or, you know, if, even if you're transmasculine, there's a lot of infantilization that goes on. It's really gross. Yeah, yeah. so I haven't fully fleshed that thought out. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right with the infantilization. Um, yeah, maybe it's like, oh, well, they don't know any better. They're just having fun or, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, whatever that is. But yeah, but just like if, a, if you're perceived as a woman, you're you're seen as less capable of making your own decisions. Is, yeah. Is insidious yeah. thought that, that goes on there. Right. Which, yeah, I could talk about how that shows up in a lot of different systems in society also. Mm -hmm. Um but that's a whole rabbit hole. So I won't go down that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's really interesting uh, that you brought up the study uh, with how, uh, you know, like babies who are assigned male at birth, a female at birth, how they're, how they're treated differently. Cause, uh, cause my, my like, you know, conspiracy theory um, is uh, it starts a little bit later than that, but in terms of like how, um, how certain skills or uh, certain behaviors are reinforced at a very, very young age. So yeah. um, you, I mean, you, you cited a study that's like, well, well boys are, are better at math and, and girls are better at, at uh, you know, language and stuff. Well, is that, is that because they're intrinsically better or is it because like boys are rewarded more for, for being good at math or they are right. Um, not rewarded as much for being good at language or whatnot. So um, yeah. it's a lot of that is, is just societal 
Um, and I mean, I mean, like I'm an economist. So like the thing that we like to say all the time is that people respond to incentives. So of Absolutely. course, you're going to develop skills that you were incentivized to develop. So, you know, it's us, if we want to create like a new society. It's up to us to, you know, design our incentives better than how yeah. they are currently. Yeah. And I think that one of the hardest things is for so many of us, those incentives are even like, it's, it's so, oh, what's the word? It's just, it's subconscious. I think almost at this mm -hmm. point, like I've, I've worked with kids um, a lot since I've been working for the past 15 years or so. Um, I had one job where I was like a photographer's assistant um, with like kids playing sports. So, you know, the, mm -hmm. the like baseball picks where you're like very highly posed. So I was like, I would help the kids pose. And I, I noticed that like, and I was in, I think I was like in college at this point, so maybe like 22. Um, but I noticed how I would talk differently to the boys. And I would say like, um, I would say like, buddy, like, hey, buddy, come over here. Or I would like say certain words and like, I don't remember what I would say to the girls, but it would always, it was different. I just realized yeah. and I'm like, I'm, but I'm queer. Honestly, I'm like, like if I think if I think about it, I I do the exact same thing with like you know yeah. if it's like a little boy, I'll be like, hey buddy, hey hey kiddo, hey sport, and yeah. if it's a little girl, it's like, hey sweetie, hi yep. hi sweetie, or oh, yep. hi Munchkin. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's just like when I when I realized that I was like, it's everywhere. It is yeah. everywhere. Yeah, um, it just it's so deeply ingrained into our society that it's it's very difficult to unlearn. Yeah. And like, I always tell people what radicalized me around gender was working at Toy R Us, like <laughs> literally working at the toy store. I was like, this is literally what we're teaching. You know, yeah. we're literally handing a little girl a vacuum in a kitchen yeah. and a baby. And we're handing a boy, you know, a science kit or a, or an action figure or whatever. And it's like, mm -hmm. how, how much more obvious can it be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's from the moment we're born, we're put into that yeah. box, we're put into yeah. that role that society expects us to play. So it's, uh, that's, oh boy, that's, yeah. that's why, uh, you know, being trans is, uh, it's quite the journey, because like, you know, breaking out of that box is is no easy feat, so. It's everywhere, yeah, uh, and it's, it is hard, but it's, it's, I think it's really cool. Like, I just feel like the coolest art comes from queer and trans folks. The coolest, like, observations about life come from us because we really have to, like, go against the grain in so many ways. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I saw this meme one time and it was like, it was like talking about gender with other trans folks. And it was like two philosophers walking down the street with like the long beards or whatever. <laughs> and then it was like talking about gender with cis folks. And it was like an adult and a baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh that's kind of yeah like yeah. we just have the coolest like perspectives on life I think that like cis folks could never they don't have the range mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so I did want to loop back to uh, another topic that we we're talking about earlier so um, how would you say the system of gender intersects with the system of white supremacist capitalism yeah um, it's a very so, very light topic yeah of course you know um, so I kind of talked about it a little bit before, but like the system of the nuclear family or the, the concept of the nuclear family is very like 
unnatural, I would say. Uh, you know, humans are social creatures. We live in community. It, mm-hmm. it's, that's a lot of cultures, maybe not everyone, but a lot of cultures, you know, they're um, traditionally live in some type of community, whether it's, um, you know, you're in super close proximity or a little bit further out. There's some, uh, some social net of you know how we support each other and so like um like in a lot of black cultures for example there would be like so getting your hair done is like a whole thing as a kid like it takes time you know you got to get it braided and it has to look good you know what would happen across the diaspora like this isn't necessarily one place but like all the all the people braiding the hair and all the kids getting their hair braided they'd all come together on like one porch or like one you know one person's house and everybody's braiding hair and it's a social thing and it's not Mm. just me and my kid and the ipad doing hair and you know do what you got to do i'm not judging folks and ipads at all i'm just saying that like that used to be a social thing you know and like or going to the beauty shop, going to the barber yeah. shop, like it's a social yeah. thing to get your hair done. And like, um, you know, that's harder to do when you don't live close to your um, your chosen family or your family of origin, or you don't live close to other mm-hmm. people with kids around the same age or whatever the case is. You know, a lot of us have fond memories of, you know, going to your grandparents' house for the summer uh, or going to, you know, going to spend time with your cousins and, and or, going to spend time with people other kids your age for extended periods of time and like you know as an adult I can look back and say like when my mom was dropping us off at grandma's house like they were they were going to take a break like they needed a break and you know how many parents don't have that now and so the the system wants us to have these very hyper independent nuclear families where like you don't really rely on other people but that's not how humans are wired um and that's not, that's the best for capitalism who wants to sell, you know, instead of having, uh, like, if you think about like the movie Encanto, you have one big compound where everyone lives there. Um, instead of having that one big compound, they want you to have four separate houses with four different water bills and four different electricity bills and four different, you know, sets of needs for those houses and four different cars and, you know, all of that. And, it's it's much more sustainable and it's much more um, intergenerational. It's like it's ha- being in community with folks and 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 being able to rely on each other. It makes a lot more space for our full humanity instead of all of us having to work to cover rent. You know, a lot of places are having a housing crisis right now, and and if if we all had a community that we felt safe in that we could live with, you know, in a larger house or compound or whatever um and that would be a lot more, more sustainable you know not everybody can work 40 hours a week 12 months out of the year like a lot of us have disabilities a lot of us have chronic illnesses um mental health issues mm-hmm. that like sometimes you can't go to work and the fact that you can you know miss work once one time or twice or you can't afford to miss work so you have to go to work not feeling well like yeah. You know, the fact that you have to kind of balance your well-being with your ability to pay your bills, that would be a lot less um, if we were able to live in communities where we could really support each other. And so um, that system of gender that really 
upholds the nuclear family, which upholds capitalism. It, it um, you know, it's very purposeful in order to extract labor, extract um, resources out of, out of folks and out of societies and out of cultures. And um, yeah, in my opinion, I think if we, if we went back to living in more communal ways than a lot of the um a lot of the things that we deal with under capitalism would would be lesser i guess like we would mm-hmm. feel a little bit more space to breathe instead of kind of always feeling like we're in crisis I, maybe i'm projecting maybe i feel like i'm always in crisis in capitalism but um <laughs> i think i think a lot of us are struggling right now so oh yeah i mean you're preaching in the choir <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's interesting that you bring up the the system of uh, the nuclear family because I mean I fully agree with you that that is not kind of like quote unquote a natural state of of living. And uh, I could be wrong about this, but I think this is something that kind of was if not created, we're definitely was reinforced in you know post war Western society, um, and especially with the creation of modern suburbs. So, I mean, I could, I could turn this into a whole urban planning uh, podcast. Suburban uh, sprawl, I, let's go. Yeah, I could talk about, I could talk about urban planning for hours, but I mean, that's basically um, what the suburbs are designed to reinforce yeah. and uphold is this idea of the nuclear family. And especially in the early days of building, building out these suburbs in the 50s and 60s, it was very much like, oh, the whites live over here and the blacks live over here. Mm-hmm. So it's like even the post Jim Crow era, like there was still segregation just because of like how real estate was designed and how yeah. public transit was designed and how our cities yeah. are designed. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all interconnected. Uh, I mean, it's like the nuclear family is, is a gendered system and yeah. it does feed into white supremacy and it does feed into the whole, you know, capitalism system. So, um, you know, as an economist, I have quite a lot of nuanced ideas about uh, about capitalism. And I think that uh, most people watching this probably understand that's what we mean by capitalism is, is that just kind of like a general placeholder for our overall Western socioeconomic system and not, you know, money bad. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Because, you know, market. like, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I'm a fan of markets for some things, but yeah. for other things, they don't, they don't necessarily work that well. So. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, what would you say is the connection between the divine feminine resurgence and increasing societal harm against trans folks? Ooh. Yeah. Um, I have. I have a lot of thoughts about. Like, I kind of put this whole divine feminine thing like in the same category as like the the alpha male resurgence I guess and like incels and all that kind of stuff and like there's just um so for those listening that might not be familiar with the term including myself um, could you maybe define what you mean by divine feminine yeah so there's this like I don't know if it's a movement or if it's just like like a lot of individual pockets of people kind of having similar conversations but like there's this like, or maybe like soft life. If you've heard people talk about like soft life, like that's kind of uh, like an intro into it. But basically this idea that like, there's the divine masculine and the divine feminine, like the these two sides of this 
divine coin, I guess. And the masculine is very much like tangible, like actions, doing, you know, making things happen and like doing things and the divine and like giving and providing. And it's it's suspiciously similar to the the masculine that we're presented in society. Um, and the divine feminine is all about receiving and um, leisure and letting people take care of you. And very much like the soft life of like, I deserve luxury and I deserve to um, not have to work really hard. I, I deserve to not have to, um, you know, do a bunch of emotional labor for people. Or I deserve mm. to like, you know, rest and 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 have luxury and have these things that that kind of um, denote that my life is soft, quote unquote, as opposed to a hard life. Yeah. And so, you know, that's it's it's very big right now, and a lot of people are talking about it. But I think um, there's a couple of really great. Uh, YouTubers who I, I listen to. One is Herbie Revolis, and they talk about how um, they did a video that was like, men want a, lot, a soft life too, and y'all hate it. And it was like, it was from the perspective of, of you know, Black cishet men who want to, you know, do the face masks and the self-care and, you know, drink tea on the veranda and frolic in the flowers. And like, uh -huh. the people in the comments are like, again, uh, policing them, policing their actions to, you know, kind of force them into this masculine role because with the soft life, the, the assumption is that we're only talking about cis women, number one, which means that like, again, because this is a binary, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That's where the alpha male comes in of like, I'm the provider for this household. I'm the leader. I am the, I'm the person who's going to guide my family. And then my wife or my partner can lay back and luxuriate because I have everything controlled. And so in a lot of these conversations, especially in the black community, it's about cis women want a, a cis man who is responsible, who is thoughtful, who is forward um, or future thinking and has critical thinking skills, which, you know, that's honestly not a very high bar, but unfortunately like, people are still tripping over it. And so like a lot of cis women are like, I'm tired of having to be quote unquote masculine, which mm. when they say masculine, it's like, I'm tired of having to like be hard um, and, and, you know, have to do all these things for myself. I want, I want these things that being a cisgender feminine woman that were promised to me. And so if it's kind of a doubling down on like, let me be this, you know, this feminine cisgender woman and fit into this box so perfectly that I have to receive my reward, which is a cisgender man who's capable of not only um, taking care of himself, but leading a household, which is, you know, those, those, those folks are few and far between. And so, you know, this idea of like, I'm going to live my soft life, but like a cis man can't live his soft life because then that means someone else has to pick up the slack for him. Um, it's, it's a very imbalanced, I think, right. And, and I think to kind of add nuance to the conversation, there's a lot of conversation happening around like unbalanced um, work in the household when it comes to like, not only cleaning and household maintenance, but also child rearing, emotional labor and all these things. And so there's a lot of cis women who are like, I'm tired of being the only parent in the household or I'm tired of um, 
my husband expecting me to clean up after him or expecting me to parent him or whatever the case is. And so it's this idea of like, I want to find a man who is so capable and competent that I don't have to overcompensate. And, but then it ends up being that like, I want my partner to overcompensate so that I can rest. And it, it never ends up becoming quite balanced. So that's the divine feminine soft life kind of in a nutshell. And I think the connection between that and um, harm against trans folks, I think it, I think the divine feminine soft life, alpha male, all of that is a response to us asserting ourselves and being more visible and, um, you know, living our lives and being more in media and, and, and forcing societal shifts um because you know with any movement there's going to be a backlash so you have black lives matter and then you have all lives matter like there's going to be some kind of backlash from the people who feel some type of way about their way of life being um questioned and so Mm -hmm. i think this is the response to that to people um you know, more more people being trans and gender not conforming, people coming out at younger and younger ages, you know, kids in elementary school, like having, changing their names and pronouns. And like, you know, a lot of people see it as, oh, you know, everything is, is, is um, like, everything's just so different or everything is like confusing now. And they get angry or frustrated because they're confused that like how did we get here and like you know all these things it feels like when you're not in the community it feels like all the stuff just happened out of nowhere and so they're like you know whatever happened to traditional values quote unquote which that's you know that's that one I I try not to use traditional when talking about things that are normalized in white supremacy because it's not necessarily traditional like gender reveals are only what 10 years old or so um, you know, pink for, for girl babies and blue for boy babies is only a hundred years old. Like all that stuff is very relative. Like you can call mm-hmm. it traditional, but, um, it's, it's, it may or may not be traditional. There's plenty of practices that we've done way longer than the practices we've done here. And so, um, but this idea that like, where are all the traditional values or whatever happened to, you know, raising a boy to be a boy and a girl to be a girl. And like, we heard, I always think about like the there's a show in the 70s called All in the Family and their theme song was like, you know, I basically we missed the good old days. And it was like, when girls were girls and men were men, like mm-hmm. they were saying that in the 70s when, what were we doing in the 70s? We were protesting, we were, we were asserting ourselves, we were asserting our rights and our needs. And when that happens, conservative folks and people who, who for whatever reason, really like the system of gender or, or at least tolerate it, they 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 push back and so i think the pushback is hyper femininity hyper masculinity and having these um traditional gendered nuclear families as a double down from like how dare you assert yourselves how dare you uh, be visible you know how dare you change society because it's it's one thing for y'all to be over there, you know, having your little pride parade, but now the kids are at the pride parade and now, you know, they're talking about it at school and how dare you, how dare you uh, infiltrate the way that we're raising our children? Um, You know, how dare you have drag queen story hours and and these things that like, 
you know, it's all very like pearl clutching. I just keep like doing this because I'm like clutching my pearls. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> an imaginary conservative, but like, you know, how dare you do these things when like, you know, back in my day, you were a girl and you were happy about it or, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's, it's a whole, very like, obvious. Think of the children argument. I mean, that's been used for yeah. decades. Now, what so. about the children? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Think of the children. <laughs> I always think of uh, Reverend Lovejoy's wife from The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. (laughs) What about the children? Like, it's it's never about the children, Karen. It is never about the children. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. And I don't see too many people talking about it, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence that that has, um, that that has, has kind of happened over the past couple of years, while at the Mm -hmm. same time, so much of culture is being taken or maybe not taken but copied or whatever from trans folks I'm thinking about like makeup culture has like exploded over the last 10 years and a lot of that was trans folks and drag queens who were on the internet creating tutorials for other trans folks and drag queens um and you know like so it's there's this simultaneous like we're going to push back against your existence, but we're also going to take your aesthetic because you're doing film better than we <laughs> do film. And, you know, we want to, we want to have a little bit of what you have. So. Yeah. And it's, I mean, if you think about it, the exact same thing has been done to the the black community. It's, it's always like, well, we're going to still marginalize you, but we're going to take the aspects of your culture that we like and incorporate it into our culture. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's, sure. um, uh, when you're talking about like you know quote unquote traditional values or whatnot, I mean like a lot of a, like what we think of as quote unquote traditional is not only is it an artificial construct that's it hasn't really been around that long, but also it's like whose traditions? Yeah, because I mean like I mean I come yeah. from an immigrant background, and what I consider traditional is very different from what you know yeah. your typical white person might might consider to be traditional. So again, it's like there's this there's this um, implied uh, bias that's the the kind of like the white cis heteronormative viewpoint is the default. Yeah. When, you know, the world is full of so many different people. Like, you know, there's so many different cultures and traditions out there that like, you can't just homogenize it into one. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's like how, you know, non-binary kind of defaults to, to mask or like androgynous, maybe more than Mm non-binary androgynous kind of defaults to mask where, you know, like when you try to combine a bunch of different things together, if you're not really critical about it and, and intentional about it, then it just ends up defaulting to whatever was the majority before. Um, you know, that's the whole melting pot idea, but it mm-hmm. ends up just defaulting to white, like you were saying, um, yeah. and white American at that, you know? So it's, um, yeah, what does traditional mean? And then too, like, it can even depend on household to household. Like, you know, you could have like, say we're cousins and my mom and your mom are sisters, but like my mom's the conservative one and your mom's the the more, you know, casual one who's, who's yeah. you know, the cool mom or whatever. Like that can, they were raised by the same person or people, you know, in theory. Um, and, you know, that can change from household to household. So my mom says it's a tradition to wear address the church and your mom's like no you can wear whatever you want and I'm like wait you said it was a tradition and I feel like that happens a lot too that like people will say it's a tradition or they'll say it's it they'll like make it seem more important than it actually is 
or more symbolic than it actually is. And it's like, no, you just decided to do this one day and you've been doing it so long that you assign meaning to it, but can assign meaning to anything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, that's probably how every tradition started at some point. It's just one person just decided to do the thing. And uh, then they, a lot of people, other other people started doing it too. Yep. So like, I'm just going to decorate the tree outside my house. Oh, that's cool. I want to do it too. And then next thing yeah. you know, we got trees inside our houses. So yes. Yeah. And like, I mean, a lot of traditions, there, there's a lot of, you know, positives about them. But like, it's you run into you run into problems when you you stick to the tradition for its own stake when and, and then it starts being harmful and you're not able to let it go yeah so. absolutely yeah we've mm-hmm. always done it this way is like like if you're ever working like you know organizational psychology or whatever like we've mm-hmm. always done it this way it's such a it's such an um a roadblock to progress yeah, um, yeah exactly. and it shuts down a lot of conversation and you know there's this idea that, oh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But also it might not be broke, but it might not have all the, all the functionality of, you know, something else that can yeah. address people's needs better. Yeah. And it, may, it might be something that works for some people and not others. And, yeah. you know, and a lot of the times the person in charge of fixing it is the one that it works for. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Or yeah, they're the only one who knows how to use it in the first place. And then, um, what are you talking about? It's working fine. It works on my machine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It must be a you thing. That's like, like, that's like a joke that I use with my friends. Sometimes anytime someone says like something doesn't work, they're like, ah, it works on my machine. <laughs> I don't know. It must be you. I don't know. What to tell you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> What is our, uh, so for, for trans and gender ex- expansive folks, uh, so yeah. what is our job as vanguards of this movement against regressive gender roles? Hmm. Yeah, I think um, for us, I think, so this is, it's kind of hard because I think on one hand, we don't owe anyone education. Like you don't have to educate people. And I think a lot of us are in a unique position to, if we choose to, um, whether it's educate people, share resources, start conversations, like it doesn't have to be, you know, educating in the way that we think of, like, I have to sit you down and walk you through this. Sometimes just challenging something that, you know, someone assumes that that can be education and it doesn't have to end like, please don't do anything if you don't feel safe, you know, don't, don't challenge people if you don't feel safe or don't feel like you have to, um, you know, put yourself on the line to, to defend anyone, like always make sure that you're safe first. But, you know, if a friend, like one time I had a friend who like, I use like a men's wallet, like a, I don't know, a trifold wallet. And like, my friend was like, we were going somewhere and I pulled out my wallet and she was like, why do you use a wallet instead of a wallet? And I didn't even have to say anything then because I was like, I think you just figured it out. But (laughs) just you know things like that just like our existence is like pushing back against the the things that people can assume and and um yeah like I think that there's space to be um if you choose to 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 kind of push back against what people assume about gender about themselves about each other because I like one thing I hate I I think this is a very non-binary thing to say but I hate the idea that like somebody can look at me and automatically put me in a bunch of different categories and like try to 
predict how I'm going to behave or how I'm going to show up in a space based off of what they can see. Like, I really hate that. Like, I really like mm. one of my friends, one of our like things is like, I don't want to be perceived. Like, I don't want you to perceive me at all. Like, uh, I just want invisible. to like exist. <laughs> and like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be subject to like how you feel about my existence. Mm-hmm. And so like, I kind of lost my point. I have ADHD. It'll come back. But like, as, as much as I don't want to be perceived and as much as I like, want to just like exist in whatever ways I want to exist without the commentary, like Mm. just knowing that my existence even creates commentary and my appearance creates commentary, like that I think will move the needle. And I'm, again, don't sacrifice yourself. Don't put yourself in harm's way. But I think, um, as someone who's gender expansive, I see it as like, how can I remind people that the system is fake? And maybe mm-hmm. not like purposefully, maybe not every day that I leave the house, but like, if I'm going to be around a group of people, like a group of cisgender people, like it's, it's kind of like, how can I make sure I look really gay? Because I don't want anybody to think that I'm like cisgender, like all y'all, <laughs> like, how can I make sure I look really queer? How can I make sure I like, and pushing back against, um, you know, what's expected of me in this space. Um, you know, how can I make sure that I am, I don't know, representing that non-binary people exist and yeah. that we can come to be, we can be in these spaces too. Um, and, you know, even if I'm the only person who looks visibly queer, visibly non-binary, like, you know, maybe there's somebody else in that room that could, that could use, the visual of a, a non-binary person in the space um, who is, you know, still in their little egg and, and trying to figure everything out. You know, I think about that a lot that like, so yeah, it's not just like, I guess, educating cis people. And I, I don't know, it's not educating, but maybe just like popping their, their cisgender bubble a little bit. Um, yeah. But then also like being visible for, for the, and trans kids that are coming up and and need to see that there are adults who exist and who are happy and in different types of relationships and our parents mm-hmm. and are not parents and are traveling and are you know doing whatever else and I think like I don't want to get into the like the kind of choice feminism lane of like whatever you do is feminist like whatever you do is 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 enough because I don't I think that that can really excuse a lot of harm especially like if folks are um, doing things that are harmful to the trans community as a whole, but they're, you know, oh, they're a trans person, so it's okay. And it's like, no, that's not okay. Like, I mean, I'm glad that this trans person is, you know, successful, I guess, but like on, like on our backs. And so like, I'm not saying that at all, but just like we have, we always have an opportunity to like, represent when we feel safe to represent you know that queer and trans people can exist here uh, wherever that is whether it's you know school work um sports whatever Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah no it's uh you definitely bring up a lot of uh interesting points but uh when you say um about you know having to educate people or even just like being perceived in a certain way and it's just it can be exhausting to like not only be the person that like has to educate everyone 
about you know gender or you know gender identity but also like having to constantly having to manage other people's perceptions of you uh, I mean, yeah. sometimes you just, sometimes you just want to go to the grocery store and get it, get a, you know, carton of milk and yeah. you don't have to think about these things. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I had another thing in my head, but again, ADHD, brain. <laughs> the okay. old undiagnosed ADHD brain, ADHD brain. Um, I <laughs> understand. <laughs> I can relate very heavily to that. Yeah. It's just it's like, oh, I had it. And now it's gone. <laughs> yep. Yep. It happens all the uh, time. But yeah, no, it's um because there there was one anecdote that I did want to bring up is like just so I went to my first pride recently. Uh well, my first pride since coming out anyway. Okay. And just just being in an environment among other trans people and other gender diverse people and other queer people and just being around people where I don't have to, you know explain myself or manage other people's expectations of me or I can just like relax and be myself and that yeah. was that was a very very freeing experience um and the other thing I I remember the thing I was gonna I was gonna bring up earlier good job <laughs> so uh, I think this is not exclusive to uh gender diverse folk I think this is uh this holds true for any marginalized group but just when you're seen in public there's that expectation on you that you have to act as the representative of, of your yeah. group. And that also is extremely exhausting. Like you can't like, I mean, locally, I'm like the trans person in our group. And so I have to be the, you know, the, the shining example for the trans community. But like, sometimes I just want to be weird and gross. And so, yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. And I, and I assume, you know, like everyone, like you, whether you're a person of color, whether you're a religious minority, whether you're a gender or sexual minority, everyone has, has, has gone through that at some point. I'm sure you have experiences that as well. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to have those spaces where you can just like relax and just like, I don't have mm -hmm. to explain myself. I can be gross or I can be weird or I can yeah. stand where I can whatever. And like, those are so important. And I think for me, I'm in a place in my life where like all my friends are, are queer, non-binary, trans, all of my friends are like, I don't, I'm not in too many spaces where I feel other. So then when I am in those spaces, I have the the spoons to be able to like, okay, I'm going to put on my most non-binary outfit and like if people have questions, I'm going to handle it. But like if I was isolated, you know, if I was in a place where I was the trans person, I didn't have any trans friends, like accessible to me or you know whatever else like yeah that's a completely like it's easy to say that when it's like I only have to interact with cis people once a month versus like I have to go to school every day with these people like that's a whole yeah. different you know a whole different thing so no completely understand and like I don't think it's sometimes our job is to survive you know depending mm -hmm. on where you are in your life sometimes your job is to survive sometimes your job is to take care of yourself and sometimes that means yeah going uh people still say stealth but like being stealth like sometimes it means just like you know throwing on the hoodie and just getting the milk and I'm not doing yeah. all this today and like I want to honor that too because that's you know our survival mm -hmm. is resistance and sometimes you're in some spaces where like that's all you can ask of yourself and like that's okay like you know what I gotta make it until I graduate next May like that was me like if you were to talk to me at 16 like I have a year eight months and 14 days like I was <laughs> I was there so please know that you know that is real and that is valid but um 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just that's that just makes it even more important to find your community. And even if they're not all queer and trans people, or they're not all exactly the same identities, that you still feel like you can be your full self and you don't have to be the shining example. You don't have to mm-hmm. answer ignorant questions or, you know, whatever else that you can just be yourself. Um, whether that's in person, online, like we all need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, like like you said, sometimes... Sometimes just take your job is just to take care of yourself and live your life. I mean, like I adore all my activist friends and people I look up to, and I think they are doing wonderful work. But for some of us, like the way we fight back is just by living our lives. Yeah. So, and that's, that's all we can do. And that's, that's very valid. And I think it's really important that, uh, that we're seen just living our lives. Um, And I think, for me, and I feel like I've heard this from other folks too, but like uh, sometimes there was like a guilt of like, oh, I should be on the front lines or I should mm-hmm. be, you know, out fighting or I should be doing something to like, you know, improve our quality of life as queer and trans folks. But, yeah. um, you know, for me, I didn't know this at the time, but like now I know that I'm neurodivergent, that like the last place I need to be is in a march in you know, the middle of the street with 500 people and there's no order and it's kind of chaotic and loud, like that is not where I'm needed. And like everybody has their role and maybe your role is to cook the food for the people who are on the front lines or to raise the money or to give people a ride or to organize the crowdfunding or whatever it is. Like we all have our gift and we all have our thing that we do. And like, you know, we're not all like the front lines of the of the march or like at pride those are the those are the things that get the most like pictures and you know get the most coverage but it like there's so many roles and there's so many mm-hmm. like maybe you're the child care person so that other people can go out or you know maybe you're the person that builds a website like whatever it is like we all have our role and like you might be in a survival space right now and like that's okay and like I hope that you have some people that can hold you in that space but like we can also learn about, you know, as we're in the survival space, like, what is my gift? Maybe I'm the artist that documents the moment. You know, I don't, I think people sleep on artists way too much. Like the artists are the ones who, Nina Simone said, artists reflect the times that they're living in. Like that's the job. And so like, maybe you're, maybe you are going to write songs about the movement and you're going to document this moment. And like, Mm -hmm. don't feel bad that you can't, show up and in this way that you see other people showing up or that you you know that you um feel like you you need to look a certain way or you need your activism or your organizing to look a certain way like no like we need you to be you because I can't do what you do you can't do what I do and we all have our own you know individual roles and like yeah and you're we need you here if anybody's like questioning it like we need you here we need your brilliance and your your light we need that in in the world so yeah yeah exactly yeah no when you said uh you know that people who experience guilt for like not you know giving enough that really uh that really reminded me very specific oh my god I can't talk specific person that I know uh who is you know an activist but lately has been taking some some time to you know take care of some personal stuff in her life and I started feeling guilty for like not you know advocating for for certain causes and I just want to I just want to shake her and be like don't apologize for living your life like yeah. 
I mean, you could give every lance every last drop of blood and it's still like wouldn't be enough. No. So like live your life. Like yeah. no one expects you to give everything to the cause. Like save yeah. some for yourself. It's okay to be selfish. Yeah. And to bring it back to capitalism, like capitalism wants us to work 24-7. They want us to think we're not enough. They want us to think that, you know, we have to sacrifice our health and our livelihood for the movement. You know, they want mm-hmm. us to use our energy all up and and you know just not have anything left to actually live our lives like it is resistance to take care of ourselves Audre Lord self-care is not indulgence it is resistance self-care is not selfish it is resistance and you know mm-hmm. having having nice things or or you know going on vacation or whatever like if those things nurture you if those things nourish you then like do what you got to do to nourish yourself because we, we deserve that. And yeah, um, yeah, it's not, nobody should have to work all the time, especially the people who have already been working all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially people who already give like 200%. It's, you know, it's okay. Take a break sometimes. Take care yeah. of yourself. You <laughs> I really hope she's body. listening. Because <laughs> hit. But yes. You have my blessing. Take care of yourself. Do whatever you need to do. You don't have yeah. to do everything. It's like, if you don't slow down, your body will do it for you and it won't be pretty. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many people, especially grand trans folks who, you know, the after 15, 20 years of like doing unsustainable levels of work, they just like crash. Oh, and, yeah. You know, have a lot of health issues. So please take care of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, a lesson I lessened I learned very young uh, at a very young age was always take care of yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. Nope. Yeah. All right. Um, now, is there anything that we missed about the system of gender that you'd like to make sure that you said? Um, I think the only thing I can think of is is I just want to emphasize community again of just like taking care of each other taking care of the people that are in your chosen family or or your friends taking care of each other and like being able to rely on each other in um in an emergency or if something were to happen like that's so crucial because um especially for queer and trans folks like we um you know we can't always rely on our families of origin we can't always rely on the people that society wants or expects you to rely on so it's really important to like you know who's your emergency contact or like if something were to happen and you had to leave your house all of a sudden like do you have somewhere to go I'm like if you don't not to shame you but just to you know think about that and kind of prioritize building community and maybe having some conversations with some friends like you know I really value our friendship and I really care about you and I would love for us to have um to be in each other's communities whatever that may mean um but you know the system I think I always tell people like yeah you can burn it down but like if there's nothing left after that's burned down then like we're all just kind of flailing so we have to be building what we do want we have to be building the world we do want to see as we're challenging and changing and breaking down and burning down different parts of the system that already exists. So always be thinking about, you know, how can you live in a more community-minded way, even if it's just like 
I need a screwdriver instead of going to buy one at the store. I'm going to borrow one from my neighbor or, you know, whatever it is, just like even the smallest things, they, they kind of strengthen that muscle. Mm-hmm. So we, we talked about this uh, earlier on the show uh, with your whole experience with uh, playing with your, uh, with your clothing. Uh, can you maybe yeah. share another experience that you've had with gender euphoria? Ooh, gender euphoria. Um, oh, so I used to work in education, um, specifically like higher education colleges. And um, like when you do a job interview at a university, like it's a whole thing, like you're expected to wear like a suit basically. Mm-hmm. And so I decided um, that I was going to get a men's suit. And so like, I went to the suit store and I like, you know, I got fitted and like, it, nice. was, it was all very like, I felt very dapper. It was, it was, it was great. It was like the experience of like getting it fitted and trying on the different suits and then actually like getting the suit and it fit me and it like, it was all color coordinated. That was pretty nice. Um, yeah, that's another experience of, of, of gender euphoria. Definitely just like having that uh, attention of like, they really wanted me to like find a, a suit that fit my body and you know, all those different mm-hmm. things. So that was a really great experience. Yeah, no, I can, uh, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, uh, I've been fitted for suits more than once and uh, just the whole like experience of getting like clothes tailored for you um, is, yeah. is really fun. Uh, I mean, yeah. whether it's a suit or it's a dress or something else, but, uh, you know, it's, it's it clothes that are specifically made for you. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it, yeah, absolutely. It feels, it feels really nice. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, what would you like to make sure that folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary trans and or gender diverse issues? Um, just that it feels hard being someone who goes against the grain of society because it it is hard because gender is the foundation of all the isms and all the um all the ways that you know our societies are the way that they are and so that there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing wrong with um doing things differently it's the system it's the it's the everything it's the air around us and that you being your true self your full self allows so many other people to see that it's possible to be your full self, that it's possible to be um, happy, joyful, um, at peace, being your full self. And it's, it's important that um, we show that there's a, an alternative to this um, like conveyor belt that we're, that we're kind of pushed on, that you know, a lot of people feel like there's not much of a of a choice or maybe they don't question their choice and they just kind of go along the conveyor belt and like we're brave enough to to jump off or run backwards or lay down on it or you know whatever to to question it and to push back against it and I think that we have a really important role in society that we are um we are here to remind people that there's more to life than than what it currently exists. And I think that that's a really important and beautiful role. So um, yeah, I'm glad y'all exist. I'm glad we exist as a community and I'm, I'm glad we're having these conversations. Yeah, me too. Uh, so once again, I wanna thank you for coming on the show. 
uh, Sakai Tyson, they then pronounce as an unapologetic Southern career Black femme who enjoys yoga, building community, laughing, subverting the gender binary, and reminding people that they can fire their doctors. Uh, Kai is a sacred transition guide, entrepreneur, healer, consultant, and educator working towards a world in which Black women and femmes can live thrive and raise healthy families freely within a healthy community. You can get a whole uh, you can get a whole bunch of links in the chat. Also, if you're watching this in the future, you can find all the links in the uh, down below section. I'm pointing, but you can't see me. <laughs> if you're if you're if you're just listening, you can't you can't see me. So uh, so we're going to end up with uh, this week's clouder query that you, our audience, can answer on our social media platforms. The question is, imagine we eradicated the harmful system of gender that exists in many societies. What would your ideal world look like and how would it be different? Uh, so next week, our guest will be Anna Feishi Pronouns, and we'll be discussing disability and gender. So thanks, everyone, for listening today and hope you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch you all next time. Genderful would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. If you'd like to catch us live, join us on Mondays at twitch.tv forward slash gendermaster. Show notes will appear in the edited version of the show on Fridays on both YouTube and podcasting platforms. If you have a question you would like the host to answer or are gender diverse and would like to request an interview, please send an email to genderfulpodcast at gmail.com or sign up via the website at genderfulpodcast.com. As a gender diverse community, The Clatter wants to assure our listeners that we are prepared to moderate our spaces. We will get positive and negative feedback on these shows and topics, and we have a moderation team on our channels, socials, and Discord server ready to deal with this. Please join our Discord server at discord.gg forward slash meowster to meet the community and get a regular digest of solidarity resources. You can also support us with subscriptions on Patreon, following and reviewing us on your favorite podcasting platform are engaging with our posts and content on social media at genderfulpod and at gendermeowster. If you take a few moments to also rate the show, we will post any five-star reviews on our socials, so get creative. Mention a special interest of your own, a project you're working on, or even say hi to your comfort person in your review. What power? This show is made possible by volunteers, tips, and subscriptions. Shout out to the folks helping us coordinate guests, edit the podcast, moderate the live chat, and post on our socials. Artist credit for Jenniful. Jenniful's theme song is called Hope by Free Range Megs, a.k.a. Soma. The Gender Master logo was designed by That's Barnaby and edited with consent by Transcription. Jenniful's pre-show is wrangled by Juice Tex. Genderful is edited and mixed by Trans Griffin and Alexis Fandom. Genderful's social media is managed by Queer to Help. Genderful is hosted by Atlas O Phoenix and Gender Master. Genderful is the intellectual property of Gender Master. All rights reserved. Trans, Trans rights, rights are human, human rights. rights. That's right. right.